0: This is the Pfeffer on Power, Accelerating Your Career podcast, where every other week I invite on this podcast a guest to talk about something and some social science that can in fact accelerate your career. And today I am thrilled and honored to be joined by John Levy. John has written two books, the second book, the most recent book published in 2021, is called You're Invited and talks about how John has created these amazing events, these influencer dinners. I first became acquainted with John when I read a New York Times article entitled Want to meet influential New Yorkers? Question mark. Invite them to dinner. Published in 2013 by Jennifer Miller. And she describes how John began what has come to be known as Influencer Dinners. And out of the Influencer Dinners, John has met incredible people, Nobel laureates, actors, and one Stanford professor at least. Um, and it's um, basically built a career around doing high-level events and introducing people to each other and doing something that I think almost no human being is able to do which is make a career and make a job and making a living out of doing something that he fundamentally loves. So welcome to the show, John, and thank you for being with me.
1: Are you kidding, Jeffrey? Literally anything you'd ever ask for. And it's an honor and a privilege to be here. So thanks for having me on.
0: So why don't you tell, how did you get started with the Influencer Dinners? And and then I'm going to ask you, of course, after that, to talk about some of the content from your amazing book, You're Invited, which talks about basically how to put on events that people will
1: remember. So what started it all was that when I was about 28, I was <laughs> severely underemployed. Right? I I did a great job at my work, but I wasn't Remarkable, I would say, in any way, shape, or form. And I came across a study by Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler. They were curious about the obesity epidemic. They asked, "Is it something that spreads from person to person like COVID, or is it something that is a percentage of the population like Alzheimer's?" Right? Because, to the best of my knowledge, we don't get Alzheimer's by shaking hands with somebody who has it. And what they found was absolutely startling. They found that if you have a friend who's obese, your chances of obesity increase by 45%. Your friends who do not know them have a 20% increased chance and their friends have a 5% increased chance. And so it really triggered for me this idea that if I want to do something extraordinary with my life, it's about the relationships I have, who am I connected with and how much do they trust me. And so I spent about a year researching the behavior of highly influential people And developed a model, and that became the basis of a lot of what's in the book. And to prove it, I spent most of my adult life convincing people to come to my home, cook me dinner, wash my dishes, clean my floors. And oddly, they thank me for the experience, and sometimes they invite me onto podcasts like this.
0: Yeah. And how does this translate for you into a business that permits you to actually live your life while you're able to meet these fabulously interesting
1: people? So- Just to give the listeners some context, what I did was I created a dining experience where 12 people are invited, but when they attend, they'll cook dinner anonymously. So they come to somebody's home, generally a former dinner guest or mine, and we cook dinner together. And when we sit down to eat, we find out who we're sitting with. And it's often Nobel laureates, Olympians, CEOs, celebrities, all that kind of stuff. And as of now, I've hosted about 2,500 people at 266 dinners in 11 cities in four countries. And Jeffrey, as you kind of pointed to, I make my living because of it, but not from it. So the dinners themselves are completely free to all the attendees. And the reason I do that is that I felt it was very short-sighted to charge Malcolm Gladwell $50 for terrible burritos. <laughs> uh, like the, the relationships are far more valuable than that. And I go into it not knowing who's actually going to be there because my staff takes care of that for me. But what ended up happening was that the relationships I've built throughout the years and the reputation I've built as being trustworthy because I'm not after anything from these people allowed me to enter into business circles and find opportunities that have made my life incredible. And my income has grown dramatically as a byproduct over the years. And the quality of my life, because I have these deep and meaningful relationships, has become extraordinary. uh, And that's really the benefit to me.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And by the way, I, I really love the people that I met at your dinners. That's um, and one of the other things I very much appreciate about John is you know that his books are filled uh, not only with stories and anecdotes and whatever, but with a lot of social science. John is basically, I believe, a closet academic, or maybe <laughs> not even, or maybe not even in the closet. I mean, you read a lot of social science, and you know, I
1: yeah, a ton. One of the things uh, that's really, really clear to me is (laughs) that I'm oblivious to all the things that I'm doing that I think work really well but actually don't. And there's all these other things that if I was aware of them, I could improve my life dramatically if I was aware of it. So I kind of feel like every time I read a new paper or a book about a concept that really involves science, I'm actually improving the quality of my life. And I'll tell you, I, I do scientific research But I'm not a great researcher, right? I'm never going to win a Nobel Prize or anything like that. But I think what's made the experience unique for me is that I will actually put these ideas to the test. And you can see that actually at the dinner. So one of my favorite studies is uh, one that Dan Ariely was involved in. It's called the IKEA effect. And he found that when people assemble their IKEA furniture, they tend to value it more and like it more. And so we realized that if we take this concept and have people cook together, they'll actually care more about one another and the outcome of the experience. And so we can accelerate the rate at which people bond by applying this research. Yep.
0: That's a very good idea. The first thing I would call people's attention to is you all need to read more. I don't know if you need to read as much as John, but you definitely need to read more social science. It's interesting to me how Google has made basically all this knowledge available to people. And so many people still don't operate on the basis of all this knowledge, which is so accessible. It's kind of, it's kind of yeah. interesting. So one of your principles... And you're invited is, in fact, the IKEA effect, which is this idea that if you invest in doing something, you will like what you've invested in more because you've invested that. You also have some other elements that you make sure you incorporate into uh, the influencer dinners. you want to talk about some of those as well?
1: Oh, for sure. There's the trust-building aspect, right? So one is the IKEA effect. The other is that one of the reasons the IKEA effect works is how trust is actually built. It's built on something called a vulnerability loop. And so people think that trust comes before vulnerability, right? So let's say I trust you, thereby I'd be willing to share certain things. It actually turns out that it's the opposite. It's because I'm willing to be vulnerable that trust is created. And it's a very predictable process. Person one signals vulnerability. I might say, Jeffrey, you know how hard writing a book is. I'm totally burnt out after this last book. The moment that you acknowledge that and then... Signal vulnerability back. John, I know exactly how you feel. I've written how many books at this point? 16. Oh my God, you are a masochist. Uh, So the moment that I see that, we both demonstrate we could be vulnerable to the same degree. As a byproduct, we trust each other at that higher level. If you had made fun of me or ignored me when I put out that initial signal, trust wouldn't develop. So what happens is, especially when you're doing some physical task or a game or activity, those vulnerability loops open really quickly. I might be chopping vegetables and I'll say, Jeffrey, pass me the." And before I can finish the sentence, you're passing me a knife or a cutting board or a spoon or something like that. And that's what actually leads to the trust growing quickly. And so this is kind of the exact opposite of what corporate America tries to do. We try to win people over with like lavish dinners that are super awkward or gift bags at parties. But it turns out if I go on a walk with you or exercise or bake with you or any of these other things, you'll actually like and trust me more. So that's the first thing. The other thing we really look at is novelty. You see, the most successful people in our culture, they've done it all. They don't need another casino themed fundraiser to attend. They don't need another, like, you know, rubber chicken dinner or whatever it is. If you can do something that stands out as new or different or unique, they will want a seat at that table. The thing is that most people don't take the time to think anything through. They end up doing the turnkey solution. We get a speaker and there'll be flowers and hors d'oeuvres and food and it's expensive and that'll impress them. They don't need any more of that. I will emphasize this over and over again. The most powerful people in the world are still people. And, and it is a battle. I work with some of the biggest companies in the world. And when they're doing their sales processes and I suggest doing something fun and playful, they go, you want that executive to do this? and I remind them, would you enjoy doing this? And they go, yeah. I'm like, do you think the executive likes to have fun? Yeah. I was like, then what's the problem? (laughs) Everybody wants to enjoy themselves. If it's an enjoyable activity that's new and interesting, and you can do it with other extraordinary people, why wouldn't you want to participate? And so we have to fundamentally let go of this image. Yes, there are certain things that are different. Their time is treated differently. What people ask of them is different. But the fact of the matter is that influential or important people are people.
0: And also, by the way, I think your other insight, which is amazing, is that influential and important people are often – Lonely in a sense that because they are influential and important, people are always asking them for things yeah. and they confront what you as you would know and describe as a trust dilemma. So, you know, I'm, I'm talking to somebody who's influential and important and, and what's going through their mind is what does he want from me? What is the agenda as opposed to being in the experience and in the moment? So they oftentimes are incredibly more isolated than you might expect.
1: It's, You know, I'll tell a quick anecdote. I'm not going to say who it is. But a few months back, I've I've hosted quite a few very, very wealthy people. And when I say very wealthy, I mean billionaires and such. And I ended up befriending one of them. And we started hanging out a bunch. And what was interesting was how often the phrase, I don't know if they want me or the wallet. And I think one of the things that really allowed us to bond is that I actually have no interest in their wallet. Their money wouldn't make my life any better. They're now independent. They're not going to hire me. I just really liked that they were geeky and smart and like loved our conversations. And so, yeah, people have this thing that like, if there's an angle, there's concern. And in general, those concerns fall into five categories. People are after their social clout because hanging out with them gives you status, their time, their expertise, their access, and their money. And that could be through donations or investments or whatever it is, contracts. And so if they're concerned about those things, their shields are up. Now, if what you're doing is generous, fundamentally, the intention is for them to get more out of it than they're investing, and you can build a reputation over time of that, then these circles open up significantly. And there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I'd I'd love to do business with you one day. But if their concern is that's the only thing you're after, then their defenses are going to go way up. Yeah.
0: The other element of your dinners, which I found interesting and the thing that you talk about in your book, You're Invited, is the element of surprise. And Mm. the surprise is also something that you want to create to get people's attention and to make it memorable.
1: Yeah, so when something is like novel or surprise or different, it actually triggers a section of the brain called the SNVTA. What it stands for is kind of irrelevant, but it's the major novelty center. And when we trigger it, what researchers found was something wild. It actually induces a state where we want to explore and understand. So when something stands out as different, the more different it is up to a limit. Like if it's really too different, we get scared and don't want to be there. But like up to a limit, it actually causes people to want to interact. So if I send you an invite, like we said earlier, for a casino-themed fundraiser, you're like, whatever. But if I send you something, an invite for something wild, come come see it a NASA launch and meet the astronauts or something like that. Suddenly that's novel. It really stands out. You're like, oh, I want to learn more about this. I'm at least going to respond. Now, when these kinds of things or surprises happen, it actually causes the brain to remember things more. And so you stand out as different and stand out as important. So the people that have attended my events, it kind of becomes like camp friends. It's such an intense experience in three hours that if I bump into them, At a conference or on the street, it's like seeing an old friend you haven't seen in years. You just can pick up where you left off. And that's not often the case. But that's one of those things that having something that really stands out, that bonds, causes.
0: And the element, when you have these dinners, one of the rules, which you've already alluded to, I want to understand how this works better, is that you don't let people tell who they are yeah. until after the dinner, when, as I recall, you have people guess what the various people around the table do and you know what their careers are and, who the, and kind of what their identity is. What does that do?
1: So there's three things that I think it accomplishes. The first is that... Most people just go into their pre-organized spiel, right? Their pitch of who they are. When you eliminate that, what it brings you to is the collection of conversations you have with people you already know. So I think it accelerates the familiarity process. It makes it feel like, oh, I'm talking about my vacation and how great it was. And the only people I talk to about that kind of stuff is people I know and trust. The second thing is that because we have an activity then it takes the pressure off of the conversation. It's not an interview anymore because you could be silent for a bit. And so conversations tend to be more natural. And then the third is that there's no hierarchy of status. So I'm not jockeying for position socially. And when people aren't jockeying for position, first of all, it gets, they're a little uncomfortable initially because they don't know how to act. (laughs) Right. Because like, let's be honest, when you go into a social situation, you're like, Oh, important doctor. Huh? I bet I earn more than them, or, oh, they totally are more famous than I am. They have the Pulitzer, whatever, right? So when you eliminate that, then you can actually become friends with people as people, and then the bonus is, look at that. That's so cool what they accomplished.
0: Yeah. No, that's exactly right. I mean, you, everybody or at least many of the people who would be listening to this have been in these cocktail parties or in these dinners where everything has been, you know, about who is this person and and who are they, and you relate to them based upon titles mm-hmm. rather than upon who they are as, as human beings, and therefore you really do not build the same kind of level of, of relationship as you do in one of your influencer dinners. Mm. So many people will hear your story People will read your book. You're invited. People will look you up and read your, the fabulous New York Times article about you don't want to meet influential New Yorkers, invite them to dinner. And some of them will say, he is one of a kind. And in some respects, of course, you are one of a kind. I can't do this. When people meet you or when you interact with people and they say, I can't really use any of this stuff, even out of your book, uh, because it's too far from who I am or it's too far from what I'm normally comfortable with doing. What do you say to them? Because I know you've gotten this question.
1: So I will begin by answering in two ways. One is that I came from a family, yes, that had a huge focus on education, but My parents were immigrants. They didn't have piles of money. It was kind of feast or famine at times. My dad's an artist. It took me a long time to understand this stuff. And once I realized that relationships aren't a thing you can expect to suddenly like wake up tomorrow and be friends with these people, once I realized that it's something you work on consistently, like I've been running these dinners for 12 years. If you think on year one, at the very first dinner, it was as impressive a group of people you'd be completely wrong. Like at the first dinner was a successful hairstylist, somebody who had 10,000 followers on Twitter and uh, some guy who had done a few big real estate deals, but nothing huge. Like it was not, you know, CEOs of global conglomerates or anything like that. The biggest thing that led to my success was just consistency. Absolutely. The supplies of the dinners cost virtually nothing. And frankly, when I first started, I was... In debt, and I was going in debt for a couple of hundred dollars every dinner buying the supplies, but I knew that it would pay itself out over time. Um, it was just too important to me to build relationships. It wasn't until dinner like three or four that somebody had said, "Hey, you should invite my buddy." He won an Emmy. And when that person came to the dinner, then I was able to say, oh, we have really impressive people. At the last dinner, we had an Emmy Award winner. And then the Pulitzer Prize winner came because of it. And so it was just consistency. I've run 266 of these things. I am not so special. And frankly, like Jeffrey, as much as you compliment me, I am not so great or wonderful to think that people are coming for me. They're coming for a novel experience and to develop relationships with interesting people. And if you design something that's decent, it could even just be going on a hike once a week to discuss the things that people are trying to accomplish in their life. And you do that consistently, you will draw a crowd and a committed group, and that'll have a profound impact on your career.
0: And that really speaks to the fourth element, I think, of your dinners, which is the word curation. So Mm. so you, of course, make sure that the people who come are happy to be there with the other people. Yeah. Isn't that right? Curation is important.
1: Yeah. the I think uh, somebody once said, uh, no successful jerks, right? Like, it doesn't matter how successful you are. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to come here and be a jerk, the, this is, like, we're just not going to invite you back. I, I don't care what you accomplished. I'd rather be with less accomplished people who are really going to enjoy each other's company than with the most famous person in the world and making my life miserable. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, John, I want to really thank you um, for being on the show and sharing these, I think, tips. So thank you for being with us. Uh, this is the Pfeffer on Power podcast, accelerating your career. If you've liked today's episode, we hope you will subscribe. You don't have to actually go to Stanford to learn all this stuff. Uh, you can buy Seven Rules of Power. You can listen to these podcasts. It's a wonderful. Today, we have been privileged to be speaking with John Levy, uh, the author of You're Invited, the organizer of these influencer dinners, and someone who has become a good friend over the years. John, thank you so much for being with us.
1: (laughs) Jeffrey, it has been an absolute privilege. Thank you for having me on.